Okay, if you've got a Bible, if you'd like to turn it to uh, Acts chapter 2. This is obviously the standard scripture everyone goes to on Pentecost Day, but... Um, you know, there's, there's loads that you could choose from in the Bible, you know, how the Holy Spirit helps us to intercede and various things. Um, there's so much. Um, but I want to start with this, uh, this picture that I saw this week, which was um, you know, really quite helpful, actually. You know, in, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 3, Jesus talks about how the Spirit blows here and there, but you not know, you know, where it comes from. And so you can't necessarily, well, you can't see wind, can you? But you can see the effects of the wind. And the best place to see the effects of the wind is in a cornfield. And you'll notice that wind doesn't just blow in a straight line. It moves and it swirls and then it stops and then it flows and it moves and changes direction. It's quite interesting how wind has almost like a mind of its own, the way that it moves. And so uh, for Jesus to, to say the wind is like, sorry, the spirit is like the wind is a great metaphor because you can really, you know, really picture that. But as I was looking out on this uh, cornfield the other day, it was, God was showing me that actually you can see the spirit move when Christians en masse are flexible enough to yield to his movement. So wherever he's blowing, they will move with it. And so when you see a lot of Christians being moved like that and then, and then a whole nation of Christians, you can literally see the moving of the spirit through his church. But of course, for those that want to be brittle and strong and I am not going to give way to this. I am not going to give way to the things of the spirit. I'm going to, I'm just not going to have any of this. I'm going to resist the spirit. Uh, and the wind gets stronger and stronger. Well, firstly, when the wind is quite sedate, you don't move, hallelujah. But as the wind gets stronger and stronger, it becomes more dangerous for you because if you, the more inflexible you are, the more chances you are of being a brittle stick that gets broken in, in the wind. But the, most, the, the best way to move with the wind and move with things of the Spirit is to be like grain, is just have the flexibility to move wherever the Spirit will, will move us. Now, I think that's a lovely picture, isn't it? Where you can look at a cornfield, you can literally see the movings of the wind. And that's the same with the spirit in his church. And so as Christians, we, we need to be flexible when it comes to things of the spirit. Because although there's nothing new under the sun, there may be things that God is asking of us that's not particularly comfortable for us to do. Because culturally we don't want to do it, or because it takes us out of our comfort zones, or God might make us do something that we don't really want to do. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Who, who, wants to, who wants to do something no one wants to do? No one's put their hands up. I don't know why. Okay, all right. No one wants to do something they don't want to do, do they? Um, but, but interestingly, it's in those places that you can have the most fun. Uh, I've read so many stories of, of especially women, actually, you know, not that I'm picking on them, but just, just as an example that immediately comes to mind, of women that, you know, that just, well, you know, back in the 70s, you couldn't do this kind of thing and you couldn't do that kind of thing. I remember reading, I can't remember her name, but I was reading a book recently about this lady God used really powerfully and uh, sent her to India. She just sold up everything she had in her flat in London. She, you know, she was doing quite well, quite successful lady, and then God told her to sell everything and go off to India. And she did an amazing work out there, but all by herself. You know, she had no real support from anybody to start with or anything. She just literally obeyed God. And he said it was the most scariest thing that she could ever do. God will get you to do things sometimes that you don't want to do, but with it comes the adventure. Okay, now who wants a boring life? 
Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, I wouldn't mind. But, <laughs> right? but, but at the end of the day, who wants a boring life? Right? I, I don't really want to. There's some days where I'm just like, Lord, please, can I have a really boring day today? I would just love to have a boring day. But actually, none of us really wants to have a boring life. Do you really just want to do the same old, same old for 30 years? I'm sure you don't. But when we, when we, when we allow God to move us and do things in us, um, we can go on some quite interesting adventures with God. And, and so the walk in the Spirit is really an adventure with God. Yeah? And so let's come back to our scripture then. So from Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And it says, Adonai says, In the last days I will pour out from my Spirit upon everyone. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my slaves, both men and women, will I pour out from my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. And I will perform miracles in the sky above and signs on the earth below. Blood, fire and thick smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon blood before the great and fearful day of Adonai comes. And then... Whoever calls on the name of Adonai will be saved. Now, this is a really interesting verse because it's kind of my go-to proof text because there's a lot of Christians that say, uh, in the end of time, there will be no move of God. There will be no revival. Uh, the Christendom is just going to like fall into a chasm. Most, there's going to be a great apostasy and only a few are going to remain. Only the, only the remnant are going to remain. Okay, That's quite a common theme that you'll hear, except for several facts. Firstly, remnant theology is only ever about Israel, never about the church. I'll say it again, it's only ever about Israel. It's never about the church it's talking about in the end of days all Israel shall be saved what will be saved the remnant of Israel that's still alive at the end of days after the time of the rise of the Antichrist etc and also that this passage here is taken from Joel 2 I believe and and it's about I will pour out my spirit before the great and terrible day of the Lord the great and terrible day of the Lord is the time when Jesus returns and exacts his justice and his judgment on the nations who have grotesquely persecuted his people at the end of days. Okay, so it's personal. And that's why it's the day of the Lord. And that's why Jesus come and comes and does it personally, because he's had enough of the eye, the apple of his eye being persecuted the way that it will be in the end of days. And so this scripture gives me hope that if before the great and terrible day of the Lord is coming, yes, the church will be an apostasy, but there'll also be a massive end time revival at the same time as well. Amen. And some people say, well, no, 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 I, I don't see how that's possible. No, there's a great turning away at the end of the age. There's a great apostasy at the end of the age. Yeah, but it also says here that there will be a great outpouring of the spirit at the end of the age. It's not which one is it, it's both. And you go, how can there possibly be both? Well, it's easy. Look at here in the West, okay? We have 3%, 4% of this nation is Christian, okay? Our church is apostatizing left, right, and center. Churches are being shut down left, right, and center. The leaders are quitting the job left, right, and center, okay? <laughs> So things look pretty grim here in the West, right? But if I was to now focus the camera on the East, well, everything's going great out there. There's a revival going on there. So you can have revival and apostasy going on at exactly the same time. It's not, it's not just this version. It's not, well, there's a great apostasy. And it's not just there'll be a great revival. The Bible says both things will happen at the end of the age. Okay, I, I don't know why people find this so difficult to get their heads around. Well, my and, and they say, well, yeah, but you're quoting Old Testament prophecy there, Chris. So it's been put in the New Testament as a requote that it's still not yet fulfilled. So if whichever way you want to look at this, theologically, 
And exegetically, exegetically, we've got to say, okay, the way I'm looking at this is that there will be a great turning away and there will be a great revival in the, in the end of days. And I'll just add this as well. Some people say, ah, yes, but brother Chris, the Holy Spirit will be removed at the end of days because it says, he who restrains, the restrainer who restrains shall be taken away. Except you cannot say it's the Holy Spirit. Why can you not say it's the Holy Spirit? Because the Greek language will not allow it. Because where it says the restrainer and it says he that restrains will be removed, the word there for he in the Greek is a neutered he. Now the only time you can ever have that about the Holy Spirit is only after it first says that, he, that the Holy Spirit is masculine he. So the context of the passage denotes whenever you can use a neuter he in the Greek. So that means we then look at that passage and go, what is the context of this passage? Has the Holy Spirit been mentioned before? No, only the Antichrist. And so it's referring to something else. So people that say it's the Holy Spirit that will be removed or the church will be removed. Unfortunately, the Greek language will simply not allow it. So that's not true either. So we know from this text so I'm just ramming this hope that in the end of days, God will pour out his spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, if you want to be in the naysayer camp and say, no, no, that's not going to happen. Well, go have fun over there. But I'm going to be in this camp over here. Amen. When the glory of God starts pouring upon his church, because my Bible says when great darkness covers the earth, arise and shine for your light has come. If you think that God is going to allow the church to be snuffed out at the very end of days with no testifying signs to his glory and his power to save the whole world from the rise of the Antichrist system, then you are absolutely balmy and you don't have an understanding of the goodness and the power of God. Because God is merciful. God is kind. It's written here. In the end of days, I will perform miracles in the sky above. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Even when we see strange things in the sky, how, how, we, um, how we just poo-poo it. So the other day, uh, I think it was in Norway, you saw the, uh, what do they call it? The Oriala, Borealis, or how you say it? Yeah. yeah, okay. And so you had that going. And then suddenly, whilst they were filming it, this pi uh, pineapple, this uh, purple spiral appeared in the sky, perfectly symmetrical. Did anyone see it? It was even on Sky News. This perfectly symmetrical spiral just started spinning in the sky, okay? So quickly, NASA got on the blower. Uh, yes, uh, we can explain this. What it was, it was one of our rocket ships that decided to jettison some fuel. And that was their explanation for it. I mean, come on, really? When have you ever seen jettison fuel form a perfect spiral that spins in the sky and lights up purple? All right. We've sent a lot of things up into the sky for a long time and we've never seen anything like it. Uh, and, and so you've got to be careful as Christians that we're not missing the signs of the times that are starting to appear. Now, obviously, these are the beginning of miracles in the sky, but we're going to see more and more. Anyway, let's get back to verse 17. In the last days. OK, when is the last days? Anyone know when the last days is? OK, the last days. Exactly. Uh, good answer. Safe answer. I like that. So, so the answers to the last days is basically since the time of Jesus' resurrection, we are now technically in the last of days. But obviously the context of this passage is in the very end of days. Now, some people might say, well, isn't it fulfilled by being quoted here in Acts chapter two with the outpouring of the spirit? OK, no, because the context it's only a partial fulfillment because the context is about the very end of days before the, the Lord returns. So that's the context of the passage. That's the context it's taken from as well. But quite often the New Testament requotes Old Testament scriptures in a new slant for, the, for, for what's going on at that time. So that's what we see here. But in the last days, 
I will pour out my spirit upon everyone. Now I looked up in the Greek the word pour, okay? And basically it's, it's, it's like God has got this giant bucket and he just fills it up with water and he just chucks it at you. You know that, that, um, that bucket competition, you know, where you just sit and someone just chucks a bucket of water. That is literally what's being inferred here. God, without respecter of persons, wherever this thing goes, he will just deluge you with his spirit in the end of times. I mean, it's literally like the heavens opening up in a swimming pool falling on your head. That's, that's the kind of language that's being used here. God's going to pour it out. He's going to gush it out. He's going to literally deluge you in his spirit. Hallelujah. It's not going to be stingy. It's not going to be a little bit. It's going to be more than is absolutely necessary. You'll be like, Jesus, is that really necessary? It reminds me of once I was walking down Gosport and uh, it was a nice hot summer's day. And there was this massive big puddle right next to me. And this car saw this puddle. Yeah, drive by baptism. And uh, he just hit that puddle and it just arced straight up into the sky and just completely flooded me. And then I had to go to the bus station on this hot summer's day. And I literally walked onto the bus dripping with water. And everyone's like, what the hell have you been doing? It's like, what have you been doing? This is what it's going to be like when God pours out his spirit. It'll just be, thank you, Jesus. This is not funny. There's just so much of it. Look at me. I'm completely and utterly drenched. I will pour out my spirit upon everyone. What did it say there? Everyone, or all flesh, your translations may say. It says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, this is not 20-year-old sons and daughters. This is children will prophesy. Okay? I have, I have heard of many accounts. I've read of, um, oh, what's it called? Um, I can't remember the title of a book. But there's uh, one book that I've read where this family it all started <laughs> at this particular time where this kid he was, uh, I don't know, six months, six or eight months old. And the kid just said, said to his parents, and it shall be as in the book of Acts, and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Okay. Now, wouldn't that freak you out? Yeah. Uh, I would sleep with one eye open if my kid did that work. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would freak me out. Okay. So what else is he going to say? And um, so this is not unusual. So it says, I will pour out my spirit upon uh, your sons and your daughters. You know, when God pours out his spirit upon children, he doesn't give them a junior Holy Spirit. Amen. He gives them the same Holy Spirit that adults get. And, and you don't get an OAP Holy Spirit either. You get the same Holy Spirit on the young, the mid to the old. OK, it's the same Holy Spirit. Yet we almost treat each other like, oh, you're a little boy, you're a little girl. Have a little bit of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you get to the uh, sort of our age, it's like, yeah, we got the Holy Spirit. And then when you get to the old age, not being rude, but some people almost second class you. No one gets second classed here. Everyone has the Holy Spirit and the validity of what God's doing in them is valid whether you're a child or whether you're 99 amen and 100 or 105 however old you want to be okay so it says your sons and daughters will prophesy and then it says your young men will see visions hallelujah and then it goes on to say your old men will dream dreams now if you notice what's interesting about this passage here it's all to do with the prophetic it's all prophetic prophecy visions dreams okay verse 18 even on my slaves both men and women now I've got to add this here okay now we don't think of anything like this because we live in so-called enlightened times but in the days that this was written women women being able to prophesy oh my days 
You know, I get home and I get enough grief. Now that they can prophesy as well? Oh, no. Okay, so this was kind of revolutionary. Um, and I, and I find, find this quite funny because I, I had someone literally phoned me up the other day and he gave me a load of nonsense on the phone. Like, you know, who do you think you are? You're going to the, this was some prophetic conference thing I was doing saying, you know, what's all this prophetic releasing? Where's that in the Bible? Blah, 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 and gave me all this sort of stuff. And then he was saying, and a woman, a woman should be silent in church. That's what the Bible says. And I said, OK. But Paul then also says when a woman prophesies in church, she must cover her head. So I said, which is it then? Is it she should be silent or she's allowed to prophesy? And he was like, uh, well, uh, I said, come on, tell me. Which one is it? You know, because he tried to get me in a corner. I'm going to grab this guy in a corner. I said, which one is it? And he couldn't answer because it's not one or the other. It's to do with context, etc., etc. But a woman is called to prophesy. A woman can teach. A woman can preach. Ah, but where does it say in the Bible a woman can preach? It says a woman shall not teach. Except, do you know that the Greek word there for woman is the same word for wife? I do not permit a wife to have authority over her husband, is what it says. So you say, why does it always translate it the other way? Because every other translation is translated that way, and that's why we wouldn't dare break with protocol. But in the Greek, it can be translated either way. And actually, when you look at the context of that passage, it's got nothing to do with church worship. Oh, it's quiet in the room now. So I don't particularly have a problem with women teachers, um, but you've got to be careful because the con and interestingly in the Greek there, just while we're there, when it says I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man, it's, that word is used once in the whole Bible. And it's to do with a woman usurping a husband's authority. That's the context. I do not permit a woman to usurp a husband, or a wife to usurp a husband's authority. That is literally what it says there in the Greek. That makes a lot more sense. Amen. So, amen. Preach it, brother. Now, I'm going to get a lot of pat on the backs on the men today. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> okay. So even on my slaves, both men and women, will I pour out from my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. So you can see here. So uh, what have we got? We've got slaves. Okay. Why slaves? Again, because if you read the book of Revelation, at the end of days, human trafficking is a thing again because Babylon will trade in silver and gold and precious stones and in people, it says. So slavery comes back. And here, these slaves will have the spirit poured on them and they will prophesy. Amen. Both men and women, I will pour out from my spirit in those days and they'll prophesy. So what is the context here of this passage? It's so far, half of this passage is all about the gift of prophecy. The Apostle Paul says um, to the Corinthians, he said, of all things and of all the gifts, the Greek implies lust and desire, the gift of prophecy. OK, now, a lot of people want the gift of tongues. It's fine. But Paul says, look, he even says in Corinthians, uh, Corinthians yeah, he says, look, guys, if someone comes into your congregation and they hear you talking in an unknown tongue and they don't understand what you're saying, how is it edifying them? Uh, I remember someone came to one of our churches once and they said it was like walking into Abu Dhabi airport because everyone, <laughs> everyone was praying in tongues and they didn't understand what they were saying. I thought that was quite funny. And, but then Paul goes on to say that, but if, I, if, if someone prophesies and reveals things about that man's life, then he will come down onto his knees and declare that there, there is a one true living God. And so prophecy, Paul says, is one of the gifts that we must desire. Now, the gift of prophecy does not mean you're a prophet either. That's another confusion, confusing thing. So, for example, you might be pastoral 
in your heart towards people. It doesn't mean you're a pastor. You might be good at imparting information to people. It doesn't mean you're called to be a teacher. Uh, you, you might be quite uh, evangelistic, but it doesn't mean you're an evangelist, okay? There is a big difference between the gift of prophecy and the office of prophet. They're very different things, although they have a slight convergence as well. So why am I hammering this home today is quite frankly, I believe that one of the key indicators of the end of the age is that prophecy will be one of the testifying signs that we're coming into the end of the age within God's holy church. Now, when you look at this passage here, and it's all about prophecy, visions, dreams, verse 18, pouring out the spirit, and they will prophesy. prophesy. It's all about prophetic. But the trouble is with the prophetic, back in the 80s and 90s, we kind of flicked a switch on that and said, yeah, we're done with that stuff, thank you very much, because we never had real good role models in the prophetic, did we? We had the, um, we had the King James, the King, King James who prophesied, thus saith the Lord, you know, and they put, on, they put on the prophetic voice, thus saith the Lord, I need some reverb or something, thus saith the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, you know, and then they would give some expounding prophetic word in King James, verily, verily, English, I beseech thee and I say unto thee. Okay, because that was, that was, I'm not mocking anyone, if you did that, don't worry about it. But I'm just saying that was kind of the quality of our discipleship back in the good old days, in the 70s, yeah? Um, that was the quality of, of, of the prophetic. But things are much better now. There's a lot more uh, knowledge about the prophetic. Uh, there's a lot more knowledge about the gift of prophecy and the office of prophet and all those kind of things. But I, I do think today, as I was praying and meditating on this passage of scripture, that God wants to equip the church so that she can be prophetic again. Because the church at this current con uh, juncture of time really has no idea about where we're at, doesn't understand the signs of the times, doesn't even think there should be anything to look for in the signs of the times. Um, it, it, you know, just is completely naive and completely ignorant to the things that are going on around. But also, you see, the gift of prophecy doesn't mean you see the future. The gift of prophecy most of the time is not foretelling, but forth-telling. So forth-telling is taking the counsel and the will of God and speaking it into the now over an individual or over a local community of believers. Okay, so it could be, you know, Jesus just wants to encourage you as a congregation that he really loves you. You're a blessing to him. Please carry on what you're doing. So I'm forth-telling. Yeah. But then I could be foretelling by saying, you know, there's coming a day where you're not going to know what to do because there's going to be so many people wanting to get in the building. You know, that's a slightly different type of element of prophecy. But generally, most prophetic words that you're going to get in the gift of, pro of prophecy is foretelling, not foretelling. Interestingly, the gift of preaching is very much prophetic as well, because, again, it's, it's taking the counsel and the now word of God and speaking into a local congregation. Amen. Right. So I've blabbered on long enough. So now what we're going to do is we're actually going to do some prophecy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray first and then uh, we're just going to, you're all going to break into like you guys, you'll be a group, you guys, you'll be a group. And I'll tell you what to do in just a second. Okay. Because we've got to start moving in the gifts. 
Okay, we can't just be sat there every Sunday or anywhere. You can't be on a bus. You can't be anywhere just passively letting the world go by when God actually wants to say something, where God wants to use you. You know, I've gone up to so many people in shopping centers, on buses and trains, giving people a prophetic word. Okay, Um, because God wants to speak to people and he wants to use you to speak to people. The room always goes quiet when I say it because it's like, (laughs) ah. I don't want to do that. Trust me. When you do it and you see the impact that it has on people's lives, uh, it's quite an amazing. It's quite amazing to be and humbling to be used by God like that, just to give a word to someone that can, to you, it doesn't mean anything, but to them could be the very thing that saves them. Uh, we were doing an outreach in Fairham once, and one of the ladies. She sat next to this guy on a bench and she felt that God said, you've got to talk to him. So she just started chatting to him and he was about to go and get some drugs to commit suicide that day, just an overdose. But because of her being at the right place at the right time and actually took some courage, that guy is still alive today. Mm-hmm. Amen. So you just don't know that sometimes getting over ourselves a little bit, you have no idea the ramifications that a simple word can, can give to somebody. Amen. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So let's just close our heads, uh, close our heads, let's close our eyes for a minute. Holy Spirit, Lord, we praise you. We thank you, Father, for pouring out your spirit. We thank you, Jesus, that you, through you we have the Holy Spirit, Lord, through the precious blood of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, Lord, we pray right now, please. We ask that you manifest your presence in our midst right now, Lord. Holy Spirit, manifest your presence, Lord, my love. Please just be with us right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will impart the gift of prophecy, Lord God, not as a transitory gift for just this Sunday morning, but Lord, as a permanent gifting to this congregation, Lord Jesus, that everybody in this congregation will be able to move in the prophetic, Lord, that everybody in this congregation, Lord God, will be able to prophesy. And Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name, Lord, impart the gift of prophecy to all of the saints here, I pray in Jesus' name. Impart the gift of prophecy, Lord God. And saints, you've got to receive this as well. This is, this is a two-way thing. It's uh, by, fa- you know, by the grace of God through, it's, uh, what is it, we're saved by grace through faith. So all the gifts come through the same way. The gifts come by grace through faith, yeah? So just receive that gift right now. Receive it by faith. So Holy Spirit, please, I pray you will outpour that gift of prophecy to this, your church, Lord. I thank you that it's your will that you want to pour out this gift. Lord God, I pray you open our eyes, Lord, where they've grown tired and asleep, Lord Jesus, and open our eyes to the world around us and to the church in which we're in, Lord God, that you want to speak and you want to minister to all of us through each one of us as well. The body ministering to the body, the body being built up and edified by the body, and the body being strengthened and consoled by the body. In Jesus' name we ask it, Lord. Amen. Okay, so you guys form your own little circle. You guys form your own little circle. And uh, what you're going to do is you're just going to take it in turns just to give a prophetic word for, for, for each person in the thing. So as one person, you just, you just pick one person to start with, start praying for them as a group, and then things will start to come. One person will give something, then another, then another, another, and just go, just go around uh, over each other for the next 10 minutes, okay? And uh, I guarantee you'll all be blessed when this is finished.